Come the Māori, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Arau Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first... The 2050 strategy is about what we share in common, our challenges, our opportunities and what we need to do. Long-term strategy to address Pacific challenges is launched in Suva. Kiribati communities in Aotearoa celebrate their language and culture, and later on in the show... Niwa is an independent agency, but the point is it's taxpayer-funded to a large degree. New Zealand environmental and conservation groups are unhappy with the National Scientific Research Agency for taking on work for a deep-sea mining venture. The leaders of the Pacific Islands Forum have launched a new long-term strategy to address present and future challenges faced by people in the region. The 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent was endorsed by regional heads of governments on Thursday as the curtains fell on the 51st Forum Leaders Meeting in Suva. The following report was compiled by the RNZ Pacific team that's been covering the Forum in Suva this week. It's read by Don Wiseman. The annual meeting got off to a rocky start this week with Kiribati announcing its withdrawal from the regional institution before the leaders landed in Suva, putting a question mark on Pacific unity and regionalism. But it concluded with more optimism as leaders agreed to work together to create a better and more resilient Blue Pacific. The forum chairman and Fiji Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama said the new regional blueprint is about who we are. The 2050 strategy is about what we share in common our challenges, our opportunities, and what we need to do together. This is why the 2050 strategy focuses on our people. It is our people who have sent us here to deliberate on their behalf, and we owe them a strategic response to their greatest challenges, especially our youth, our children and our grandchildren, who will uh, inherit this strategy and our collective ambition. The climate crisis, socio-economic challenges, slow economic growth and geopolitical competition were key problems faced by the region, Bainimarama said. We must work together. The 2050 strategy will serve as our guide for the decades to come, setting out our long-term vision, key values to guide us and key thematic areas and strategic pathways that will pave our shared trajectory as a region. The Blue Pacific, according to the 36-page strategy, is about Pacific peoples, their faiths, cultural values and traditional knowledge. Progress in these areas is identified as the most crucial for the sustainable long-term development of the region over the next three decades. Forum Secretary-General Henry Puna said the new plan is about Pacific regionalism, which is not an easy thing to progress. Pacific regionalism is more than a set of activities. It is vital that the 2050 strategy guide our collective activities and actions as we address our challenges and exploit our strengths and our opportunities. Tuvalu's Prime Minister, Simon Kofi, said climate change is the key issue in the Pacific. Kofi said it's been a very challenging time for the forum due to the geopolitics in the region, which is taking away the attention from the main issues. But he said the forum leaders are united. I think there is strong uh, solidarity on issues that are affecting the region. And and I think the the launch of the 2050 strategy is is, is an example of uh, uh, the Pacific really defining the the future that we want for for the peoples of the Pacific. Simon Corfey is also the chairman of the Small Island States grouping within the forum. He said the group also discussed and agreed on issues that impacted on them. In particular, 
the Vanuatu initiative on, on asking or seeking uh, legal opinion from the ICJ. Uh, that was an issue that was uh, supported. Uh, Tuvalu's initiative on uh, statehood, uh, which was also uh, important as we look at the the future of small island states, as we know they are at the forefront of uh, the impacts of climate change. The Cook Islands is confirmed to host the next Pacific Islands Forum Summit. The Cook Islands representative to the summit, Tepairu Herman, said business as usual is not going to help the Pacific overcome the challenges it's been faced with. Existential climate change, COVID and economic isolation. Just before COVID, the Cook Islands graduated to high-level income country. Palau followed very shortly after. We are now well below high-level income country. And yet the criteria for us to try to access help refuses that access because we are high-level income countries. Meanwhile, in the communique, which is yet to be officially signed off on, leaders have agreed to leave the contentious Suva agreement open for Kiribati. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern confirmed Kiribati has been engaging with the forum's chairman, Frank Bainimarama. Bainimarama said leaders will continue dialogue with Kiribati to try and convince it to rejoin the forum. In the space of a week, Kiribati has drawn the attention of Pacific and global leaders mostly for political reasons. But the e-Kiribati community in New Zealand, although small in number, are celebrating and encouraging the next generation to stay connected to their Kiribati identity. The community gathered together in South Auckland to partake in an event as part of their Language Week program. Susanna Suisuiki has the story. New Zealand Kiribati National Council Project Manager Kanawa Yules says she hopes the Language Week, which is now in its third year, will increase the awareness of Kiribati, as many people outside of the Pacific community aren't aware of its existence. The challenges is like nobody knows about Kiribati. Um, the promoting our culture is very limited, like in the past. But after the government giving us the opportunity to recognize it officially, our Kiribati Language Week, and we incorporate that together with our Kiribati independence, it makes more Kiribati well-known. Born and raised in Kiribati, Mrs. Yules migrated to New Zealand to study education, then returned to Kiribati teaching at various schools in some of Kiribati's outer islands. Nowadays, Mrs. Yules is a teacher at Papakura's Cosgrove School, but ensures her spare time is dedicated to teaching the Kiribati language and culture to the children within her community. One of her students, Joffritz Francis, says although he was born in New Zealand, he credits Mrs. Yules for encouraging him to be proud of his Kiribati roots. We've been meeting up like this, this whole week, basically. At the end, started on Sunday, so yeah, we've been meeting up for like, quite a while. I can understand Kiribati language, I just can't see it. Oh yeah, we just like keep ripping it. <laughs> keep ripping. Climate change impacts over population and rising sea levels in Kiribati have been contributing factors to a significant outward migration of e-Kiribati to countries such as New Zealand. Migrating to New Zealand in 2009, Batene Lote says she had a difficult start to settling in. It's very hard the first time I arrived, we got some 
we find difficulty times like we for the rent and like we live on our home and um, like the time we involve with the community then everything everyone helped. While the Ikarabas community may not be as large or well-established as other Pacifica peoples, Mrs Yules says Kiribati's rich history has had an impact on the region, and she hopes that the next generation continues to uphold their culture for years to come. The strength of the relationship in our culture and their connections has been built up and developed from one generation to another, and this is like what we need to see every year. Conservation and environmental groups in Aotearoa, New Zealand have expressed disappointment in the National Scientific Research Agency, NIWA, signing up with a deep-sea mining outfit called the Metals Company. The Deep Sea Conservation Coalition says the revelation just highlights New Zealand's lack of support for calls from Pacific Island nations for a moratorium on any deep-sea mining activity in the region. Pacific Regional Lead of the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, Phil McCabe, says it's ironic that the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has this week been meeting with Pacific leaders at the forum in Fiji, while New Zealand's research agency NIWA is working with the metals company which plans to mine in the Pacific. He joins me now. Kia Phil, welcome back on Pacific Waves. So how did this all come to light and what are your thoughts on the whole deal? Uh, Well, we saw a Guardian article that described uh, that NIWA is... Uh, you know, our Crown Research Agency was uh, part of a consortium of groups that have been contracted by the Metals Company, previously known as Deep Green, to do you know to do work uh, to you know, support their efforts to mine the deep ocean of the Pacific. Um, and you know, with New Zealand's past record on this issue, and the fact that our Prime Minister is meeting with the leaders of the Pacific, where you know there's been a significant uh, up step in uh, voiced opposition to opening the, the the Pacific up to you know this fast strip mining of the deep sea, uh, the proposed activity of deep sea mining in the, in the in the middle of the Pacific. It's ironic when when our own Crown Research Agency has has signed up a, a contract to do the work. Um, you know, New Zealand should be supporting the Pacific uh, in in their calls for a slowdown and, and a rethink about whether this should be going ahead. I'm, I'm assuming there would have to be sign-off like uh, on a government agency getting involved in this. Is this kind of an indication of where the New Zealand government's head's at in terms of this activity? Well, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know where the, where the authority comes from. I think NIWA is, a, is an independent agency, but the point is it's a crown. It's a, it's a you know, taxpayer-funded to a large degree. Um, agency, and it's sort of our public uh, scientific uh, organisation. And you know, there, there is a problem with the, the model uh, that NIWA operates under, where they do have to source a portion, a significant portion of their funding, operating costs, through you know contracts with the private sector. And so that's a problem that I think needs addressing. We we, we had the same issue with NIWA doing all of the science for the two seabed mining companies in New Zealand that, that where you know the applications that came through our EPA in 2013, 14, 15, 16, you know, and 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 NIWA was unable to do work for 
the communities that were opposing because they were locked into contracts uh, with the companies. So they weren't able to perform their function of a of a public scientific uh, research organisation. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, we're, we're the. I, I don't know whether this indicates where the government's head at, but it is a it is a strong signal that you know New Zealand's political sort of position has been stagnant on this issue to date. What calls are being made um, off the back of this announcement among the um, the NGO uh, conservation commi- um, well, community in New Zealand? Yeah, we're, we're calling on New Zealand to get off their hands, you know, pull their hands out from under themselves, and support the Pacific in the growing calls for a moratorium. There's a you know there's a real uh, urgency on this issue with the time pressure of of, of you know, the, the activity starting within. Uh, within a year, and New Zealand's sitting quietly contemplating what the right thing to do is. Clearly, the, the, the countries and the people of the Pacific that will feel the impacts the most are calling for a pause, a stop to the development of it and a stop to the green lighting this activity, and New Zealand needs to support that. Now, the Consortium of Scientists, did you want to talk a bit about who else is part of that group? Uh, CSIRO, which is an Australian, uh, you know, sort of NIWA's counterpart, and a couple of other research bodies within within Australia. And again, you know, Australia at, at this point in time, when the Pacific region is asking questions as to, you know, who are their uh, friends, who are their allies, and and there's questions around security and so on. I think it's important that New Zealand and Australia. Step up and and show where where their support is, uh, you know back back the countries who are asking for their greatest asset, the the, the Pacific Ocean, the, the the environment that supports their well-being and economies and culture and societies. Um, they're asking for the protection of that that entity, and and New Zealand and Australia need to stand up. The first known Fijian Indian opera singer is set to hit the stage of New Zealand's most significant opera contest. Also a semi-finalist of the Lexus Songquest is a Cook Island-born singer who is the first singer ever from the Painur to make the semi-finals of the contest. Our reporter Lydia Lewis caught up with the rising stars ahead of the semi-finals this weekend. The Lexus Songquest boasts alumni of the likes of Dame Kiritakanua, Dame Malvina Major, Tiri Tahu Rhodes, Jonathan Lemalu and Solomios Amitai Pati. When I saw them do it, I think, is there other people doing opera? Then I was like, oh, yo, so I listened to them more about, and I checked out all their videos on YouTube, and then I, what they were doing, I was like, this is so unachievable, like, are you sure we can do this? Like, so I kept, like, investing my time into, like, watching their videos and what, they, what they've been doing. And I was like, my gosh, if they can do it, I can do it. And because I think the thing that pushed me even more was my family was an awe of them. Like, they're like, whoa, these guys can sing. Whoa, they can sing high like this. They can do this. And I was like, okay, you know, 
if they can do it, I can do it as well. Rich Ponini has been around music from a young age in the Cook Islands. At 18, he plucked up the courage to move to New Zealand by himself, and now he is in the semi-finals of the Lexus Song Quest. When I received the call, it was I was with my family from the Cook Islands. They were here for a holiday, and when I got the call, I just couldn't like. My reaction was just like un unsurreal, and then I just ran to my mom, who was the nearest to me, and I told her, and we just started crying. My aunties were around as well, so I ran to them as well and just told them as well, and oh, we just like huddled up in a circle and just started crying, <laughs> like you know, like just being happy, like very happy and and shocked. He says his late great grandparents, Mama San and Papa San, were cornerstones to his singing journey. They kind of pushed me to sing in like all the church groups, like singing、um, traditional hymns and all that. It's always been a part of my life, but yeah, taking it seriously was never never the goal. But it was just always just the thing we we do as part of our culture. Classical music was something very different for him, but from a young age, the people around him knew he had a gift. This is Ridge at 18 years old in his last year of college, singing Hallelujah. He says his English teacher Brenda Rudolph was teary. From then on in, she took him under her wing, and now there is no looking back. Like Ridge, Siddharth Chand is also making history. To his knowledge, he is the first ever Fijian Indian opera singer to reach this level. Because everyone kind of knows everyone, like in that community, and I don't. There's, I would have known if there was another one. There have definitely been other Indian ones. Not from New Zealand, but Fijian Indian would absolutely be the first. He says, being New Zealand-born, the significance of pursuing this career path never really hit him until now. It's it's quite important for me to be able to branch off what's kind of culturally acceptable for a career path, being Indian or Fijian Indian. Like now, being in a creative industry, and actually the only one in my culture that's part of this creative industry. And if I become successful in it, then it kind of provides a provides an opening for others to to go to go down the same path. Both Rich Ponini and Siddharth Chand want to support the next generation through their success. Sid has a podcast called Sid Discussions, where he gives his peers a platform to share their journey. And Rich wants to take workshops for young aspiring artists in the Cook Islands. A certain kind of light that never shone on me. New Zealand's best young singers are set to take the stage. There is ninety-five thousand dollars in prizes up for grabs, and you never know. Aotearoa's next opera star may just have been born in the Cook Islands.
That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Krabwa for tuning in and support. Until next time. Thank you.